0: It's Wednesday, March 7th, 2018. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is The Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, on Wednesday, February 21st, 2018, William Franklin Graham Jr. fell asleep in this life and woke up in the presence of God at the ripe age of 99. Many people have remarked at the life of Billy Graham and the influence he had and still has on our country and our world. He has potentially preached and spoken the gospel to more people than anyone else who has ever walked the planet. However, behind the legacy of Billy Graham lies two simple stories of discipleship and investing. One man who is teaching some teenage boys who had a heart for discipleship, and another man who is a simple shoe cobbler. Their names were, were not well known, but the fruit of their investment lives on in so many lives for the kingdom of God. And it reminds us that discipleship, if we're focused on it, is what will make a difference for eternity first. And in 1856, there was a Sunday school teacher by the name of Edward Kimball. He was teaching some teenage boys and had a heart for one of those boys in his class in particular by the name of Dwight Moody. Dwight wasn't paying attention in Sunday school and, and even, according to Edward, would tend to fall asleep during class. Well, Edward went to the shoe store where Dwight worked to share the truth of Jesus with him. Dwight Moody received Christ in that shoe store, and he began to grow. And he became an evangelist that was reaching people not only in England, but in North America. He had a powerful ministry. It's estimated that thousands gave their lives to Christ through the ministry of Dwight Moody. And and there was a young student in his class by the name of Wilbur Chapman who expressed that he was unsure in his salvation. And Dwight Moody discipled him. He and Dwight built a friendship on the truth of the gospel. And also, uh, this, this young man, Wilbur Chapman, became an evangelist and began to hold his own revival meetings. Well, at one of Chapman's meetings, a a baseball player by the name of Billy Sunday came to Christ through the message that was proclaimed by Wilbur Chapman. Sunday actually was led to quit professional baseball, and he joined Wilbur Chapman's evangelistic team. Wilbur Chapman invested in Billy Sunday and, and continued to just learn and teach him how to proclaim and preach the gospel so that Billy Sunday was now taking the gospel on his own to many, many places. In 1924, Billy Sunday went to Charlotte, North Carolina to host a revival. At each location, of this revival tour, he tried to set up men's businessmen groups before he left. And so he was able to actually help establish one in Charlotte. And the group continued to meet for 10 years and later later became the Charlotte Businessman's Club. Well, the group decided they wanted to have another revival at the one that Billy Sunday had uh, preached 10 years ago. So they contacted an evangelist by the name of Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham himself had been led to Christ in part by the consistent presence of a shoe cobbler in his life who actually helped lead and disciple Mordecai Ham. when Mordecai Ham comes to Charlotte to preach a revival. He came and he preached, and on the back row of the service was a 16-year-old boy by the name of Billy Graham, who heard the message, walked the aisle, and made a decision to profess Jesus Christ as Savior. Well, about 84 years later, that same Billy Graham spoke to more people about the gospel than anyone else who's lived on the planet. It's estimated that more than 100 million people in person have heard the words of Billy Graham. And when you add the influence between television, radio, and internet, there's an estimated number that 2.2 billion people have heard the preaching of Billy Graham. And, and with the legacy and with the, the sermons that are now archived on the internet and other places, there's no telling how many people will hear the teaching and preaching of Billy Graham. As a matter of fact, one of our strategic partners in India, his dad was the translator for Billy Graham when Billy Graham was able to preach evangelical tours throughout all of India. So many people have heard the words and the message of Billy Graham, but it all started with the simple act of, of a man, a Sunday school teacher who who discipled Dwight Moody, who reached out to him when Dwight seemed like he was far from the truth, when he was falling asleep in Sunday school, and his mind was captivated on other things besides the gospel of Jesus Christ. A simple man, a simple businessman, invited Dwight Moody to walk uh, the life with Christ. And then another shoe cobbler invested in Mordecai Hammond, and these two investments led and collapsed upon this rally in Charlotte, North Carolina, where a 16-year-old Billy Graham would hear the gospel of the Lord. Jesus Christ respond and be led to evangelical crusades that have been uh, uh, the, the result of many coming to professing faith in Christ Jesus. Beloved, discipleship matters. The messy and mundane of life matters. What we do in our homes with our children and how we reach out to others in our sphere of influence, it matters. We may never preach to hundreds. We may never preach to even tens of, of, or twenties of people, but we are accountable with what we do with the platform that we have. Jesus called us to make disciples. Paul told Timothy and Titus that the older generation was to teach the younger generation. Most believers desire to be discipled, to be mentored, and to interact with their elders. But, beloved, we need to be careful that that pattern is not broken, that we're not more interested in the proclamation to millions and not interested in the proclamation one-on-one, life-on-life, through discipleship in our homes and in our communities and around the world. The command of Jesus as as he was about to descend into heaven He brings the eleven disciples to Galilee, to the mountain on which he had directed them. And when they saw him, they they worshipped him. And Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Oh, and then Titus says in Titus 2 verses 1 through 8, it says, but as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith and love and steadfastness. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that which the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, the younger men should Be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works in your teaching. Show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be contemned, so that an opponent may not be may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. Oh, the word of God is uh, just over and over reminding us that we are supposed to be about life on life discipleship, about making a difference one on one in another's life. Oh, I love uh, the life of Barnabas. Barnabas was a man that was behind the scenes, but he was a disciple maker. He was standing up for others. He was he was ultimately believing in others. And while Paul, the apostle Paul, may be the one who is uh, has his byline on so many letters and epistles of the gospel, it was Barnabas who first stood up for Paul. It was Barnabas who was the disciple maker. Right, Barnabas we know is the son of encouragement, but we also know him as a disciple maker who was in the background making much of the opportunities he had for Jesus. Barnabas and Paul's ministry together brought so much fruit. Oh, in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 31, Paul is is trying to go to Jerusalem. And he says, and when he came to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him. Why? Because he had been breathing threats. He'd been jailing them. He'd been persecuting them. He was holding coats at the stoning of Stephen. They didn't believe he was a disciple. Verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how Paul on the road had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how at Damascus Paul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. And, and Paul had gone in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he had, he had spoken to against the Hellenists, and, and they were seeking to kill Paul. But when the brothers learned this from Barnabas, they brought Paul down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was built up. For walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were being multiplied. The apostle Paul would not have been recognized by the disciples at Jerusalem if it hadn't have been for the testimony of Barnabas, if it hadn't have been for the consistent discipleship of Barnabas in the life of Paul, if it hadn't have been for Barnabas, who would continually believe in the underdog. Oh, and we see later in the book of Acts that Paul and Barnabas ap- actually separate over a young man named John Mark. Barnabas believed that John Mark still had potential. And Paul said, we need to go on and proclaim the, the excellencies of the gospel of the kingdom. And Barnabas splits from Paul because he believed in John Mark and wanted to disciple John Mark. And, and that's the last time we see Barnabas' names mentioned in the New Testament. But last time we see his name mentioned in the Bible but we don't see his influence disappear. As a matter of fact, in 2 Timothy 4, verses 6-12, through we see the influence of Barnabas on John Mark. For Paul says, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me in a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will reward me on that day. And not only to me, but all those who love his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, who is in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Christians is gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. And this is what Paul says, get John Mark and bring him with you. Why? He is very useful to me for ministry. Oh, the same John Mark that separated Paul and Barnabas. Barnabas had gone with John Mark, discipled him, poured into his life. And at the end of Paul's life, the great apostle Paul, the great evangelist of the word of God, he says, get John Mark. The influence of discipleship matters, beloved. It matters what we do in our homes. It matters what we do through adoption. It matters what we do through orphan care. It matters how we reach out to vulnerable children. It matters what we do in the lives of foster children and biological families. Discipleship matters, and it makes a difference. Oh, and that was the life that we want to see and want to be encouraged through the life of Billy Graham. That Billy Graham wasn't Billy Graham because he ultimately woke up and became an evangelist, but because there were men behind him that were patient and painstaking in discipling the least of these. Recently, Tim Bauer uh, wrote a piece for the Southern Baptist Seminary entitled, Seven Things Every Christian Can Learn from Billy Graham. Oh, these were so impactful and true. And so I want to remind us of those here. Number one, Billy Graham believed in the authority of scripture. Oh, and we see that through all the ways that he preached. Every time Billy Graham spoke, his famous words was, the Bible says... Billy Graham staked his life on the authority of scripture. It was the word of God that he preached. And so in the way that we help orphans and vulnerable children and defend the fatherless, let our authority be scripture. Let us speak into their lives. Let us speak into the destitute, the lives of the authority of the word of God, and let them know not what we say, but what the Bible says. But number two, Billy Graham knew the power of prayer. He was said to have answered every issue or problem with his ministry, any problem they ever had with crusades. He was known to say, well, let's pray. He, he actually was quoted as saying every man or woman whose life has ever counted for God has been a person of prayer. A prayerless Christian is a powerless Christian. Oh, beloved, are we relying upon the power of ourselves to save the children in our home, to save the orphan around the world, to be the defender? Are we, are we looking at our own assets and our own abilities? Are we desperate for the intervention of God through the power of prayer? And number three, Billy Graham knew the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He relied not on his own power day after day and night after night, but on the Spirit of God through him. He was able to rest in the outcomes of his preaching because he knew the Spirit was the one who had accomplished the work. Oh, beloved, as we defend the fatherless, we care for the poor, the needy, the orphan, and the widow, whose power are we trusting in? Are we trusting in ourselves? Are are we destitute and desolate when things don't go our way or when these kids seem to rebel against us or when when nothing seems to be going right? Are we beating ourselves up? Are we entrusting their lives to a power that is greater than ours, the power of the Holy Spirit? Oh, Billy Graham was able to rest in the outcomes of his preaching night after night, day after day, because he knew the Spirit was the one who had accomplished the work. And number four, Billy Graham focused on the cross, 1 Corinthians 2, 2, Paul said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, Recently, I was watching some uh, videos of Billy Graham on several different shows, the Woody Allen Show and the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And and Woody Allen and Johnny Carson were both trying to get Billy Graham to to laugh or to change course in his message or to become crude or to to even to waver in his consistent message and the consistent truth that he brought. But I watched Billy Graham in a very humble and loving way consistently. Consistently focus on the cross. Woody Allen was trying to, to even challenge him that, that it was okay to have many women and, and many wives and many relationships and, and many encounters with people of the opposite sex and consistently, consistently and hum, hum humili, with humility and with humbleness. Billy Graham looked at Woody Allen and said, oh, there is forgiveness at the foot of the cross. God has brought in a way of standards for our lives, and those are not to restrict us, but to help us and to guard us and to love us. And ultimately, Woody, he looked at Woody Allen and he said, Woody, you may not have followed these rules. You may not have followed these ways, just like I haven't in my life on other things. I have sinned. There is no man without sin, but there is grace and is found on the cross of Christ. Billy Graham focused on the cross with a consistent message. And we need to remember what we do in defending the followers. Our message needs to be on the cross of Christ. Number five, Billy Graham promoted personal evangelism. His ministry was not just about crusades, big tent rallies, and large platforms, but on personal life-on-life evangelism. The Billy Graham Evangelical Ministry was not just about crusades, but it was about teaching men, women, boys, and girls to share their faith holistically and carefully with their neighbors, with their friends, and with their family. Oh, this is not just about preaching the gospel with hundreds and thousands of millions of people. This is about preaching the gospel to our friends, to our neighbors, to those in our home, and to the orphan, the widow, and the vulnerable child. Number six, Billy Graham Prepared for the Future he sowed the seed to continue a legacy through those who would come before him. Oh, Billy Graham was consistently preaching the gospel and, and making sure that those around him were able to take the banner and to continue to go forward. Oh, Billy Graham has not preached a message uh, at a crusade in over a decade, but yet his message continues to live on through his son Franklin and through the Billy Graham Evangelical Association. He was prepared for the future because he knew that the message did not depend upon one speaker, but it depended upon the wisdom of God, and so he prepared well for the future. And Number seven, Billy Graham lived a life of holiness. Oh, Billy Graham was on Watergate tapes with President Nixon. And what so many people would do is try to excuse that or, or to try to ignore that or to try to make excuses. Billy Graham came and said, I want to ask the nation for forgiveness. For forgiveness for what the things that I said and for the ways that I've done it. I'm not a perfect man, but I have a perfect God who loved me much. Billy Graham was was known whenever he would travel without his wife, Ruth Bell Graham, to rip out the TVs and rip out the phones from his room and have someone go into that room before him so as to promote holiness, to make sure that he did nothing unfaithful to his wife. Over 50 years of marriage, he loved faithfully Ruth Bell Graham. And oh, at his funeral uh, uh, last Friday, the March Second, to hear the testimony of Franklin Graham when he said even later in his life, Billy would look at the picture of Ruth Bell Graham after she had passed away and tell Franklin, oh, Franklin, I miss your mom now today more than ever. He was a man that lived a life of holiness. And not that Dr. Bauer's list is incomplete, but I want to add an eighth. As a product of discipleship, Billy Graham believed in discipleship. I had the opportunity in 2000 to participate in Franklin Graham's rally in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. And and through that rally, I was able to be a counselor at the front when Franklin would give the altar call and people would come forward to, to trust Jesus as their Lord and Savior. But before that, we were persistently called to follow up. We were persistently called to disciple those we would meet with. And we were persistently told to engage those who came forward. We were told over and over that Billy Graham did not believe in altar calls as the way to salvation, but in discipleship as the way to salvation. One of the reasons the rallies worked is because as people would, would, would come to this message and would, 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 would deliver themselves to the front and, and respond to the message of the gospel that the Billy Graham Association had set up ways of discipleship. Billy Graham believed in discipleship. And so the legacy of Billy Graham will endure but only because that legacy was was not built in building his own kingdom or his own name, but because he built upon the name of Jesus and on the kingdom of God through his life and powerful preaching. While our names may not endure past our lives, may our lives reflect the glory and proclamation of Christ so that the legacy of Christ will pour out into the next generation, into the orphan and the vulnerable child, because it is Jesus who will defend the fatherless. So to close today's podcast, In the honor of Billy Graham, who would always give every message with a call to repent and follow Jesus. I look again to the funeral, his funeral on March 2nd, 2018, and the third speaker was Ruth Graham, his daughter, and Ruth gave a powerful story, and that story is such a picture of the grace of Jesus Christ. Ruth Graham said she had messed up her life, she had had entered into a marriage that was failing, and she was on her second divorce as a single mom, and she remembers that after that second divorce, after her mom and dad had told her not to marry that man, after her brothers and sisters had told her not to marry that man, having to go home and face Billy Graham, and she Told, told the story at the funeral of winding up the mountain to their home, and, and, and obviously a day before cell phones and internet and, and, and smartphones, and there at the foot of the driveway was her dad waiting on her. And she said her dad had that, that traditional stoic Billy Graham phase and she didn't know if she'd be in trouble. She didn't know what, if she would find rebuke and she didn't know if she'd find love. And as she got out of the car, she walked up to Billy Graham and he wrapped his arms around her. And to the testimony of Ruth Graham at Billy Graham's funeral, she said, my dad wrapped his arms around me and said, I love you. Welcome home. You are always welcome here. And so, beloved sinner, know that there is no way that you can send your way out of the kingdom of God. Jesus, through his cross of Christ, is beckoning us to come and to follow him. Place your life in Christ. Place your faith in Christ. O oh, beloved sinner, there is grace found only in Christ alone, through faith alone, at the foot of the cross. And so we beseech you, you cannot begin to defend the fatherless until you have first been defended by Christ and his cross. Thanks for listening to the Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel to you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again next week for the Defender Podcast.